Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fight, where we get to talk about the Olympics, in particular boxing, coming up in Tokyo this July, uh, featuring Christian from the Friday Night Panel. I mean, it's Friday today for us, uh, where we are. And uh, let's start this off with some talk about Olympic boxing. What do you got for us, Christian? Well, yeah, you get a double dose of me today, uh, Graham, as it is Friday. Yeah. So uh, we will be talking a little later on tonight as well with Big Mike from Knuckle Up with Mike Orr at four. But in the meantime, we've talked a few times on this show about uh, how much of a giant money-making machine this whole uh, Olympic venture can be from the broadcast side of things uh, to you know national sponsorships and stuff like that. So we sometimes forget what this can mean to uh, a what an Olympic uh, birth can mean to someone who's in a developing nation. So I wanted to uh, highlight very briefly here today uh, a boxer that we've talked about a few times on this show, or at least you guys will have heard her name mentioned a handful of times on this show th through some of the tournaments that she's been in recently, Filipina boxer Irish Magno specifically. So I want to talk a little bit about her and her background and what she's been doing to get up to where she is now, and then we'll move on to something a little bit more specifically Olympic-related. But Filipina Olympic uh, fighter Irish Magno actually once worked on a farm to support her family before pursuing a boxing career, uh, you know, which is now you know near its peak, I would like to think, or she's doing quite well as she is set to compete in the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. So Magno revealed that she used to cut rice crops and plant corn with her parents to earn a living and pitch in for the family expenses. Magno told her YouTube vlog uh, in Filipino, I really wanted to help my family because even with my meager salary before, it proved to be a big help for us to buy food like sardines or noodles. We were already very satisfied with those. Uh, Magna, who has so far donned the Philippines national colors in three out of four of the last editions of the Southeast Asian Games, winning bantamweight bronze in, in 2013 and flyweight silver medals in the, both the 2015 and 2019 editions of those games. She then became the first Filipina boxer to reach the Olympics after punching her ticket for Tokyo at the Asia Oceana Olympic boxing qualifier event that took place last March. So through boxing, Magno has managed to help out her sister, uh, Cheryl, finish a degree in criminology and build a sturdy house for her family. Magno recalled times when she and her family needed to evacuate to shelters during typhoons since their old home had holes in the roof. Uh, she said, now, even if, the even, even if it storms, our house is durable and you will not see the stars when you look at the ceiling. Magno added that she doesn't want her younger siblings and the rest of her family to have to experience the same hardships that they did before when she was growing up. She says, I'm doing all of this for my family. As long as I can, I will support them. So it's a little bit of a reminder, Graham, at least to me when I read this story, of just what a big deal the exposure provided by these large international tournaments, such as the Olympics, such as the AIBA World Championships, Commonwealth Games, Southeast Asia Games, things like that, uh, how much that exposure can mean to an athlete and how much a difference that exposure can make, you know, just in their life, not just in their professional career or their, or their sporting career, I should say. You know, increased exposure equals increased, you know, access to opportunity, which equals increased funds. You know, with everything going on with respect to COVID-19 uh, in Japan, it can be easy to lose sight of that, uh, you know, and to say, and to just say, not we should be canceling the games. It's not, you know, they'll, they'll be the next ones. 
for some of these fighters, you know, and among, of course, other disciplines as well, this may be their only shot at the games. This may be a, quite literally a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So we have one, you know, Olympic-bound boxer who has gone from, you know, sowing the fields with her family to, you know, to pay for sardines and noodles to building them a house that the roof's not going to come off in a storm and putting her sister through college. So, you know, this can make a huge difference in an athlete's life. And it's something worth remembering, in my opinion. Sorry, tickle there. But moving moving on, we will, unless you have something to add on the subject there, Graham. No, I was, I was merely going to say it's interesting that we mostly hear about the male professional boxers out of the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And very rarely, uh, let alone here, even discuss female uh, women boxers, female women, female boxers out of the Philippines. So, yeah, thanks mm -hmm. for bringing that up. Well, I mean, it draws a bit of contrast because we've covered stories in the past on here, like the uh, U.S. national boxing team right now being, you know, forced out of their multi-million dollar training facility and having to train in an abandoned, you know, uh, clothing store across the street. And we go, well, you know, I guess everyone's got to make their sacrifices. But, you know, it, it kind of draws a bit of a line under it when you think about what some of these other athletes are doing around the world to try to get to the same place. You know, they're all, they're all headed for that same ring in Tokyo. Yipper. Uh, it helps put things in a bit of perspective. Scar Scarlett, uh, on her show today, was talking to uh, a female boxer out of Liverpool who's actually a pediatric nurse and the mother of two. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah she's professional. A glutton for punishment on multiple fronts by the sound of it. <laughs> so, yeah, they, everyone's got their battle to wage, if you will, individually. So we uh, all I was saying is, and thinking was, wow, it's, it's pretty rare that we do hear about uh, female boxers out of the philippines for sure mm -hmm. especially amateurs well they've got a strong side that they're bringing to uh to tokyo so i, I expect yeah. you're going to hear some of the, some of these names again you know a few more times uh keep an eye out on that front uh, also for netty patekio as well she's going to be uh she's going to be a big deal i think in the olympics i think she's going to do quite well but moving on to the actual olympics itself uh sport in general has had you know there's there's no lack of examples of scandal in sports surrounding racism. Uh, even, you know, we've talked on this show in the past, going back, you know, to the beginning of, you know, prize fighting and stuff like that in boxing, where guys like Jack Johnson had to wait through four consecutive heavyweight champions of the world before someone would actually defend against him because he was black. Yeah. So, and we've seen that in recent, in the last couple of years, uh, start to take hold in sports, starting to address that from everything from uh, Colin Kaepernick and, you know, kneeling during the anthem during NFL games. And that's spread throughout not just the NFL, but multiple sports disciplines. Uh, you know, th things uh, like that to uh, NASCAR banning the Confederate flag, among other steps that they've taken in a, in a very progressive way towards that. So we're seeing on, a, but we haven't seen much on a national level from the Olympics specifically coming out and addressing this. Uh, though that is until today, the first country that we've seen really starting to take a step forward publicly on this front here. So for the first time, Brazilians representing their country at the Olympics will undergo anti-racism training in a bid to deal with the, the deep rooted problem that has sometimes stained the world of sport. So the Brazilian Olympic Committee recently launched a 30-hour online course this week, which will be mandatory for all 650 athletes, coaches, doctors, nutritionalists, officials, and other members of the country's delegation to the Tokyo Games this July. Uh, 
So Rogerio uh, Sampaio, the committee secretary general, uh, and himself a gold medalist in judo at the 92 games, said, the goal of this course is to provide information, knowledge, and also open a broad debate on racism in sport. Racism is structural, but we believe that the sporting world can no longer tolerate it. So around 55% of the population identifies as either black or mixed race in Brazil, which was the last country in the new world to abolish slavery in 1888. Racial inequality can be a, you know, a traumatic and loaded subject in this country of 212 million people, uh, where whites can earn up to 75% more than people of color on average. This course will give an overview, uh, is designed to give an overview of racial inequality in Brazil, address what racism in sport looks like, uh, as well as teach members of the Olympic delegation what they can do if they either witness or are victims of racism. So Sampaio says that Brazil is the first of the Olympic Committee in the world to launch such an initiative. He calls it a first step towards dealing with the problem while acknowledging we know that it's not enough, but it is important. So racial incidents in sport make the news on a disturbingly regular basis in Brazil, despite the impact of movements such as Black Lives Matter in the U.S. and, you know, activism of high-profile athletes such as uh, Naomi Osaka and uh, LeBron James. Brazilian sport is kind of regularly rocked by these, these racist incidents. And I, I, I don't want to get into specific details here, but Brazilian law does provide for fines or prison terms of up to three years for making racist slurs. Uh, as well, a Brazilian Olympic Committee uh, also has the power now to fine or sanction athletes who violate their code of ethics, which includes rules against racist behavior. So I think there's a very positive thing moving forward. We're looking at the first uh, first national federation, at least, or national Olympic Committee to take a step forward and say, we're not only training our people how to deal with people here at home, but also these are these are athletes who are about to be in the olympic village as much as that's going to be scaled back so they are going to be bombarded with culture shock from every every angle so even for someone who's not implicitly a racist person hopefully nobody ever should be but it doesn't hurt to have a refresher course for some of these people on just how to deal with culture shock we'll say in a in a respectful manner so I, I see this as a very positive step forward, and I think hopefully we're going to see other national Olympic committees making similar steps in the near future, if not at these games, and hopefully uh, by the time we get to Paris 2024. That's an awesome endeavor. Wow. Mm -hmm. Obviously, each country would have to tailor make their own little uh, their own training program for something like that, but I think it's definitely something worth looking into if it's not already being addressed. Correct. Mm -hmm. But those are the major headlines from around the world of boxing and the Olympics today. Uh, other than that, it's all just COVID doom and gloom as usual. <laughs> so we don't need to. Uh, Tokyo is implementing stricter restrictions at this point in time, but that just looks like they're closing bars down at 8 p.m. instead of letting them stay open all night. Uh, and it's supposed to lift by end of May if things change. So hopefully less doom and gloom in the, in the future on that one. But those are today's headlines. Thanks very much, Christian. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll see we'll you in see a couple of hours. Yeah, thanks very much. After that, probably on Monday. Okay, cheers. <laughs>